Hello and welcome to another episode of The Modern Goddess. And today we have one of my all-time favourite goddesses, Pitt Mackay. Good morning, gorgeous. Good morning, Katrina. How are you? <laughs> it's so weird when you're friends um, for this long to be interviewing each other. It's so funny. It feels <laughs> so strange, but I'm going to give it a good crack. Um, Excellent. <laughs> How long have we known each other for? Like oh, 16, 17 years or something? Yeah, it's coming up to sort of 20 years now. So just to fill yeah. you guys in, Pip is one of my favourite spiritual teachers, my personal development teacher, my professional development teacher, and I've done a lot of lot of her programs and I really am quite spoiled because I, I now don't want to go to other teachers because I think we're Excellent. <laughs> I, love, I love your style. I love the way you do it and I love how... You give us, um, you weave a lot of magic into your program. So that just keeps me spellbound for, I think I've just come out of three days straight with you. So that kept me spellbound. Yeah, wonderful. And I always love having you there and also your friendship as well. So valuable to me. Um, so thank you for joining us at The Modern Goddess. I couldn't do this podcast without interviewing you because you've got a really interesting landscape around love and I hope you share as much as you can with us today in the in the short time that we have. Um, let's start off the podcast properly with the one question that I like to ask and that is, how do I love you properly? So to love me properly... The key thing for me is um, listening and understanding. I mean, unless you will, and then there'll be other things that will be involved <laughs> since it's you training. <laughs> yes, he needs to do that as well. <laughs> but, yeah, love and um, listening and understanding, like I find that I can work out pretty much any of my own problems but I need a sounding board. And for me, love is someone who can hold that emotional space for me and listen to me and understand my perspective. That's really what I need most of all. Lovely. And this will of yours is your new glamorous husband that you've just married with full Cinderella experience. And I was uh, had the great honour of um, witnessing that um, and being at this beautiful wedding. Oh, my gosh. It was so gorgeous up on the hill in Manly. So let's yeah. Your, your 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 journey to marriage and you know settling down and and this wonderful experience yes it's been a, a long journey because um you know as you know in my childhood I experienced sexual abuse from the age of four to eight and um even though I had boyfriends uh when I was a teenager and into my 20s it really affected my capacity to have a committed relationship. And in fact, that desire to heal that area of my life really spurred all of my own personal development journey. And some of the healing tools I did were more effective than others. And then I felt like I needed something more and I couldn't find that. So I ended up creating my own suite of tools and techniques. And I found that they work really effectively in relationships, in money and health for a lot of other people, but I didn't have anyone who is trained in it yet at a level where I could be the client, you know, the coaching client. So it took me a lot longer to heal than it did um, a lot of the people I came in contact with. But finally, I found um, a coach who could use my tools and techniques, and I was also using them with myself 
and then going to him with what it was I needed to do next um, in order to, you know, heal what was going on for me. And I went through that process and there just came a point where I knew that that area of my life was healed enough for me to get into a relationship. And um, it, was, it was a really interesting moment because I had found that prior to that, if somebody asked me, oh, Pippa, you in a relationship? I would say, no, I'm not, but I'm really happy being single, you know? And that's what I would say. And the fact was, I was. I was very happy within myself. I was very happy being single. It was just when I got into relationships that I found I was triggered into being someone who I didn't want to be and who I didn't feel was the empowered um, and loving, you know, having a balance between being empowered and loving as a goddess inside the relationships that I found. Um, you know, I would either be loving or I'd be empowered and I couldn't seem to find a way of being both. And then when I healed um, that to that level, uh, a friend, a, a woman came to the house sit and she said, Pip, are you single? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, I can't believe you're single. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and, then, um, and then she said, are you looking for a partner? And I said, I am. Do you know anyone? And she said, actually, I know this lovely Irishman. Um, you know, do you like Irish men? And I was like, who doesn't? And um, after some time, um, because he was dating somebody else at that time, he wanted to, she wanted to check whether he was single or not. And um <clears throat> And he, he did become single and that's how we got introduced. Oh, it's such a lovely story. Um, and so now that you're all um, happy, uh, what advice can you give the modern goddess? What, what's going wrong these days? What, what, have we got unrealistic expectations? Why is the divorce rate what it is? Why aren't, you know, I know you know so much about the psyche of women and feminine energy and the balancing of the masculine and the feminine with inside of us all. Um, just talk us through your view on what you see out there and the problems women are facing. Yes, well, you know, as you know, Katrina, my background in my, my own personal spiritual apprenticeship was with archetypes. So I do think, see things, you know, in a very archetypal manner. And, um, you know, I define an archetype as the best example of something. But um, there's also the shadow of an archetype, which is, you know, the same uh, subject, but in shadow or the stereotype. So I think what's happened for us is that, you know, we've come out of our parents or our grandparents' generation where there was the stereotype of the domestic woman. You know, the woman who stays at home looks after the family. And, you know, modern women experience that either with their grandmother or their mother. And they were like, gee, I don't want to be this disempowered person. And they thought the only way to be empowered was to move into the masculine energy. And, you know, that's why we had in the 80s the big, you know, power suits and all of that. Um, because women didn't understand how to have the archetype of the feminine. They didn't understand how to be feminine and still be powerful. They thought that to be powerful, you had to be masculine. And so suddenly you have these women adopting a very masculine stance, becoming very controlling, um, feeling like uh, in order to be empowered, they, they had to sort of be the boss. 
and they might be the boss at work and then they would come home and they're organizing their family, their kids, they're bossing everybody around. And then they were left with this deep sense of not being able to receive. And this idea that receiving uh, was gonna make them vulnerable and they'd link vulnerability with weakness instead of that beautiful concept of feminine receiving where you can be in your power and receive love in the way that you want to receive love, but you can be supported by your partner. You can have them give you things. You can have them give you compliments. You can have them open the door for you. You can have them be beautiful and supportive, but you can still be empowered to go out and be the woman you want to be, have the career you want to have or not, or, you know, be at home with the kids if that's what you want, but the, the choice is yours. And um, I think that's where, for me, you know, your example with Charles was so beautiful. I'd never really at that time in my life when I met you come across a strong woman who was so incredibly supported and loved and that you were able to open yourself up to receive the kind of support and love that Charles has always given you. And that was a really wonderful example to me about what love could be. Because I'd had this idea before that if you were a strong, powerful woman, no man would be able to handle you. But you can be a strong, powerful woman and still be able to be in the feminine place of receptivity. Um, and I think that's a really big leap. And it's a leap where we have to understand the archetypal feminine to be able to have that. And to understand as a woman, we need both masculine and feminine qualities and that both qualities have strengths and both qualities have weaknesses. And we want to just have the strengths, um, let go of the weaknesses and step into a place where we can have love and be powerful as well. Yeah, your work is amazing. Just walk us through the, um, the programs and what's available to people so that they can not only heal, but heal others. Yes. Well, I really believe that there's some fundamental aspects in order to deeply heal ourselves. I think one, we do pick up hugely patterns of beliefs and emotions and relationships from our primary caregivers. And for most of us, that's our mum and our dad. And, you know, our parents can be really good people and they can still have a lot of disempowering beliefs and still not have a good relationship with each other, not have a good relationship with self-love, not have a good relationship with health, not have a good relationship with money. And because we're around our parents, um, you know, with our mum, we're even influenced in the womb, it's now being proven. And because we're around our parents during the primary aspects of, um, you know, neural pathway development in the brain, then we pick up patterns of behaviour. And that's really fantastic if our parents have really positive patterns of behaviour, beliefs and emotions, then we can stand on the shoulders of giants. And there will be a lot of our parents' um, aspects of that which are really fantastic. Like my mum was a very uh, powerful career woman. My dad stayed home. Um, he had been a really... Uh, powerful person in his own career but when he came to Australia he couldn't get work and he retired early and my mum took over the career path so the idea that a woman can go out and get work and that a woman can go out 
and do what she loves and be paid really well for what she loves was just a normal part of my growing up. Um, so that was a really powerful, important pattern for me. And I never felt odd as a woman in leadership because I had that model for my mum. So that was a really fantastic pattern of behaviour that I didn't have to learn from scratch because I could pick up that from my mother and then stand on her shoulders in terms of that in my own career. But in terms of my mum feeling like she could be supported in relationship, uh, that was not how it was. My mum felt like she had to do everything. Um, and I know a lot of women out there feel that same way. And so, you know, I did pick up that from my mum, this idea that you have to do everything um, and that you have to work yourself to the bone to be worthy of your pay, you know? Um, so I had those, those beliefs that I picked up from my mum. So on the one hand, my mum was a fantastic, powerful model, but on the other hand, it, it was also a very disempowering model. So I believe we need to let go of the disempowering patterns of behaviour we pick up from our parents um, as a, absolutely fundamental key for how we can step into what we want for ourselves because those patterns are deep they're formulated you know often from you know somewhere in the womb all the way up to six or seven and then we get other patterns that we pick up but those are really important patterns we pick up from parents so it's it's really important to clear those and they can be invisible ceilings for us we can not even know that we've got that so i just say to people you know even if your parents are good people just look at your parents' health, wealth, relationship with each other, and intimacy. And if you don't want one of those or all of those, you need to clear patterns from parents. So that's one set. So we call that masculine and feminine coaching. We have a program specifically on that. And then I think you need to clear negative emotions and beliefs because we pick those up uh, from parents, from bosses, from teachers. We pick up their emotions, but we also pick up our interactions with them and the emotions we had, especially if we were disempowered by a boss, say, or a teacher. And I think we need to clear those in order to make it easier for us to have what we want. And then we need to deeply, deeply know who we are. And um, we have a program called Passion and Purpose Coaching where we, we discover who you are at an archetypal level. What, what is, is your nature of your soul? Not just your personality, which is formed by influences of others, but why were you born and who were you born to be? And let's find that out and let's then discover how you can be that. So we'll clear away all the things that aren't you, clear away all the things that hold you back and then forge a pathway about who you really are at your deepest level and how you can make that your career or apply that to health and relationships. So there are level one programs, passion and purpose, coaching, masculine and feminine, and the matrix therapies for the beliefs and the emotions. And that's our primary program. And then we have level two. So if people want to then qualify as a life coach, they can come to our level two programs where we have a herd of horses, a real herd of horses, and we do horse whispering and horse coaching with them, as well as go through all the 22 archetypes of achievement, love and happiness. Yeah. And I, I know your logo is the unicorn. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And you deeply love horses on a level I've never seen in my life. And <laughs> just talk us through the magic of working with horses and why is it in your program? Why is it there? 
Yes, well, in actual fact, my name, Philippa, means lover of horses. So it's just really interesting that my mum gave me that name. Um, and I've had a deep love of horses ever since I ever had contact with them, which was at about four years old. Um, and one of the things that horses are, well, one, they're really big animals. So when we're in front of a horse, it can help to trigger places where we feel disempowered by something bigger than us. Um, and, you know, sometimes people feel disempowered, I mean, by something that is bigger than them, whether that is in authority or whether that is actually physically bigger than them. And so a lot of us have triggers. And also, too, when we were children, all adults were bigger than us. So the idea that we might be able to influence something bigger than us can often um, have a deep uh, kind of aspects of woundings around it that we need to heal. And when we come up again with a horse, and some horses are more um, leadership horses than others because horses have a strong pecking order of status. So a horse that thinks it should be a leader, you know, is quite likely to push you around if it thinks that you aren't. <laughs> so it helps us see where are we in terms of our belief about our own leadership. And so I'm only five foot two, and yet I can influence any horse, no matter whether the horse thinks it's the leader or not. I can step into my power with a horse and I can influence a horse. And just with my energy, I can get that horse to walk backwards. Um, if the horse is in my space, I can tell it, no, that's not appropriate. No, this is my personal space. Um, and yet, with a horse that's lower status, <clears throat> I can also invite that horse into my space and that horse can feel safe with me. So sometimes what women do is they've worked out that they need to have a strong boundary because they've had, you know, an ex-partner where they need to create a really strong boundary with. And then they end up with a strong boundary with everybody, <clears throat> even people they don't need a boundary with. And then they've got these strong spiky boundaries up and then a man who they want to be with or a woman if they're gay has <clears throat> got no space to come in to the heart space because the person is associated being open-hearted and in the love space with when they got hurt last. And so they've protected their heart, but now their boundary is so strong that nobody is able to come in. And then they can't really experience love. That might not mean they don't experience a relationship. They may have a relationship, but they're not really experiencing receiving deep love, even if that man loves them. They haven't opened their heart to receive that because of prior hurt and pain. But for a lot of women, it means they don't have a relationship at all. Um, and then there's those women who have an open heart, but their power centre is closed. So they're just letting anything in, you know? So then when a horse comes up to them as doing, you know, mildly inappropriate behaviour, like, you know, nibbling or biting, the person's like, oh, I'm so desperate for love, I'll put up with anything. And then, you know, they might get a little nip <laughs> because they don't understand how to create a respectful boundary and to ensure that they're only treated with respect. And that horse isn't an evil being. That horse is just saying, hey, you're not creating a boundary with me. Well, I'll test you then. See what happens. What are you willing to put up with? 
So, you know, in our horse coaching processes, we have one-on-one horse coaching where you go in with a problem and see how the horse responds to you. Then we have horse meditations where you're just sitting meditating the horses at liberty and we have, you know, we have all these horse trained people to make sure that you're safe. And then again, see how the horse interacts with you. Are you good at creating boundaries? Are your boundaries so fierce that nobody wants to even come near me? You know, what, what's going on? And then we also have horse whispering where you start to use your energy to move the horse, draw the horse back in, the same horse moving out, the same horse brought back in so that you can open and close boundaries at will. Uh, Will the horse move out of your way when you're walking towards it, when you're saying, get out of my way, you know, leadership energy? Um, Or does the horse just not take you seriously and you end up just bumping into the horse, you know? So these are all the different aspects of horses. So horses, you know, without any kind of agenda will give you feedback about whether you are a leader or not, whether you have boundaries or not whether you can put up and pull down your boundaries at will, depending on the context. Um, And they teach you that. And they teach you that in the most loving, open-hearted way. So, you know, you might create a boundary too strongly. And then the moment you open your heart back up and draw your energy back in, the horse is completely forgiving, you know? So it is really, really extraordinary. And sometimes you can get past resistances you can open up and see deeper problems that you don't even have awareness that you might have. Yeah. It's amazing that um, I think this horse therapy um, kind of work is really starting to come forward and people are starting to notice it. I really look forward to seeing more and more results, particularly with PTSD and sort of the soldier side of life. I think that's really quite, quite sad how they're not able to help them as much as perhaps... Um, yeah, I think horses are going to play a role in that and, and are playing a role in that currently. So I would just want Yeah, to- they are. I mean, what, you know, we've been doing work for 10 years now and I think we're, we're one of the very few that I know of anyway, certainly in that length of time, where it's just been for ordinary people through coaching. So most of the time it has been like like you're saying, for people with PSD, for people with disabilities, um, for the armed forces, it's become really popular now um, and recognised. When we started, it was only people really in the horse arena that knew that and they were doing it in order to ride better or to load a horse onto their um, float better. Um, But we've been really using it for ordinary people just to understand what's what's going on and I personally learned so much from the horses as well like I remember one time where um, I had been really really busy at work and um, I got caught up in that place where I was busy 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 and my mum was in the hospital and so I was visiting her Um, my house had mould in it so I had to completely renovate and remediate my home and I was living out of my home so everything was really busy and my business had doubled and my PA had left. <laughs> so I was just in this heightened state of busyness. And I went down to the horses and um, there was a space for, you know, in, we do the horse coaching just in, in small groups of three where one person goes in and two people observe. And uh, there was a space. So I thought, oh, no, I'll do some horse coaching. And I was just sort of up in my head and just, you know, what's the next thing, what's the next thing? So I didn't even realise that there was a problem, but I was having trouble sleeping. 
Um, and you know, Cheryl, our horse coach, goes, oh, well, Pip, you know, is there any problem you want to work on? I'm like, I can't think of a problem. You know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm dealing with everything really well. <laughs> and I went into the arena and this horse, Sam, I was just standing there. He just started gently but consistently pushing me over and over and over again, you know. And um, I've known this horse for 10 years. He'd never done this behaviour, just constantly. And it was really annoying. And I could feel this frustration building up in me. And then he, like, knocked my glasses off and I walked away. And um, and this horse has his own issues. So he has, like, social... Um, he has... Uh, you know, when you take him away from the herd, if there isn't a person he trusts, he goes into a place of anxiety. And I could see him totally freaking out. And I was like, oh, great, now I've got to go after the horse. And so I went back to my coaching session after to look after him. So I went back and he just started pushing me again. And I was just like, what is this? And Cheryl was like, Pip, are you getting any messages? What does this feel to you? And I'm like, no, I'm just really frustrated. I don't know what's going on. And I said, look, I just need to go away. And so I walked out and Sam is following me out, totally at liberty. And he's pushing my back and then he pushes me on the bottom. And I was just like, that's it. And I turn around to him and I'm like, Sam, what? What are you trying to tell me? And I get this message. I've no idea where you get these messages, but everybody gets them, probably from your own unconscious mind. But anyway, I get this message and it's like, doesn't feel very nice, does it? And I'm like, what, Sam? What doesn't feel nice? And he goes, well, this is how your body feels. You just push, 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 never rest. Do you want to get sick again? And I was like, oh, and it just really hit me right here. You know, I was all up in my ego thinking I was coping so well with everything, but in actual fact, my body, you know, and I've had, had chronic fatigue in the past, my body was getting sick again. And it was just such a wake-up call. And if somebody else... If I got that message from a person, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's all right for you. You don't have your mum in hospital. You don't have this going on, blah, 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 blah. But when it came from the horse, it just hit me right deep inside. And I was like, okay, I have to go away and organise everything in my life differently. I got my brother to come up and be with my mum. I got um, somebody who'd been my PA previously to come in and assist me. Um, and I just rearranged everything in my life and I, I actually went away on holiday um, and just calmed my adrenals down and just really looked after my health. And it was lucky I did. Um, and then I could come back. Yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing. Even with people who are really advanced, what the horses do. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so moving now to um, the future for women, What's your prayer for them? What's your hope? What's coming up? What do you think the future holds for the modern goddess? I think women are coming into a really interesting period of time now. So I think we're finally getting to a place where women can come into places of leadership and still be in their feminine energy. So I think um, we see examples of this with Jacinta Ardern, um, you know, as Prime Minister in New Zealand. I think she's really one of the first examples of a woman in her feminine energy. Fortunately, she's in a country that supports women and has supported women leaders for a lot longer than Australia has. Um, and she's able to be that person. I mean, I thought it was so extraordinary that her and all her cabinet 
took a 20% pay cut during COVID-19, saying it wouldn't make any difference to the, you know, the, the economy of New Zealand, but it was a way of showing solidarity to those people who were struggling financially. I mean, I've never heard, I think I've only heard of one man doing something like that, and it was a, a Japanese man who was the head of um, an aeroplane company that was going through some problems, and he took a pay cut. But that's the only other person in my whole history of leadership that I've ever seen that has done something like that. And that man was also, uh, you know, even though he was a really, really highly respected Japanese leader, he had a lot of that yin energy um, and really beautiful, but still highly respected. I think, you know, in the past, when we look at, you know, women like um, Hillary Clinton, like Julia Gillard, like Angela um, in uh, Merkel in Chancellor of Germany, we're seeing women who had to step into their masculine energy to be in a place of power. And I think that suited those women. There's nothing wrong with women having masculine energy if that's who they are. And I think that is who those women are. I think they've got some feminine energy, but they've got also a strong masculine energy as well. I do apologise for that ding noise. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Um, so I think we've seen that. We've seen examples of that. But now we're starting for the first time seeing examples of women who are more in that feminine side, being able to be respected and seeing that. But it's taken those women, like Julia Gillard, to have all the flack that she had, both from men and women, and have this horrendous place in Australian society that even as a woman wanting to stand up and support Julia, not in her politics, but just as a woman in leadership, that she should not be treated in a way that a man wouldn't be. And we get that politics is a slinging match, we get that. But then there's places that are just totally below the belt. You can't have Kill the Witch. You know, you just can't have that. That is a public form of domestic violence. We just should never have that. It should never be said. It, it, it should never be accepted. Nobody should have plaques like that. Um, you should never have a woman after her father has died being told that your father died of shame because of your behaviour when he was so proud of her. No man has ever put up with that in Australian politics. So it's not about politics. It's about women not having to put up with that kind of behaviour. And we see in the past that women in leadership roles that were traditionally feminine, like um, like counselling roles or coaching roles or, or personal development roles, they didn't get that sort of flack. But the moment they step into the true leadership role, then they do. So Hillary Clinton was really popular as first lady, but the moment she ran for president, suddenly she's, she's getting attacked on a massive personal level with huge amounts of verbal horrendous abuse. Um, so I think we, we need to take our hats off to those women who are the pioneers of leadership and we need to have a greater empathy because we can't, as women, expect that we can be treated properly if we don't support the women who went before us who had the harder role of pioneering those leadership positions. You know, we can't be influenced by the media around that. We need to see how full on it is for those women 
and admire that. Whether we like their politics or not doesn't matter. Admire that and then step into leadership roles ourselves and make sure that we support other women in those roles. We need to gather around community-wise. We need to ensure that in our conversations we don't rip other women down, that we don't divide and conquer. We need to support every other woman who stands up there and goes forward. Again, whether we agree with them or not, doesn't matter. We need to support them as women going forward um, and just you know, give them that love and support because they're getting enough flack as it is um, without us adding to it. And in our personal conversations, we need to support that. So I just think that's what we need to do. One of the greatest problems there has been for women stepping into leadership role, one has been men, but two has been other women jealous of them and ripping them down. And we should never, ever do that. Yeah. What's the psychology behind other women ripping other women down? Like, what? where does that come from? Does that go back to when we were cavemen or something? No, uh, well, I think, it's early, I think it's more recent than that. And, you know, in terms of history, you know, we, there's been cycles of women in power and leadership in history. So some people sort of have this idea of historic evolution as being in a line. It's not, it's in a circle. Um, you know, the Amazonian women had a lot of power. There was a point in ancient history before the Greek civilization um, of the 5th century where people didn't realise that it took a man and a woman, woman making love or having sex in order to have a child. And you can understand why you wouldn't know that because it's nine months. You know, how many people who are thinking about survival and you know, are just out trying to manage nature and themselves and survival. How many of them are going to be able to trace when you've got no written records, nine months of when something happened to when a baby's born? It's quite a big thing to track. Um, so at one point in time, people believed that women just spontaneously got pregnant and gave birth. They didn't know why or how. It's almost like, always a virgin birth and there was this sense of um you know like mother earth just gives birth to nature um and so men had a much much lower status you know all the um you know any any kind of possessions were inherited through the matriarchal line any kind of status within a tribe went through the matriarchal line and it's the woman who was empowered and the man was just sort of there you know to have have you know, enjoyment with in, in terms of the sexual context. And so women were the ones of all the power at that point in time. It was only when they figured out that men had sex with women, that's how pregnancy happened, that there was a big shift. Um, so there's been many times in history where women have risen to power and leadership positions. Um, but in terms of what's going on more recently, and I have a personal example with my mum and her mum. So... My grandmother was a very social woman. She married my grandfather. And then my grandfather, who had been social prior to the wedding, decided that she had to stay at home, was not allowed to go out to, you know, social events anymore. And so my grandmother was completely isolated at home, unable to do anything she wanted to do. 
um, because the man at that time in the 30s, you know, 30s to 50s, um, had all the power and she had to do what her husband said. And so that's what happened. And so she was very resentful about that. Her only way to have power was to stop making love to my grandfather. And, but she never told him why and he never knew why she withdrew that affection. And that just created this massive distance between them. But it was her only form of power and he wouldn't rape her, of course. So it was her only form of power. And so this creates a massive resentment in the household. And then my mother comes along and she's a very independent woman. She always has been right from childhood. And she does really well at school. She wins scholarships and she's the first person in our whole family to go to university. So she goes to university as an independent woman. She qualifies. She decides she wants to go overseas, be on the first teacher volunteers to Indonesia as an independent woman doing exactly what she wants. So can you imagine what my grandmother feels about that? You'd think she'd be so happy about, oh, I'm so happy my daughter can do what I couldn't. But unfortunately, she just felt jealous and she couldn't control it. She didn't have the emotional wherewithal inside herself to know. She just, she just wanted to be my mother and she wasn't allowed. And here's my mother allowed to be. And she just couldn't cope with it. Um, so she poured all her affection into my mum's brother and all her angst and all her anger that she couldn't express towards her husband, except by withdrawing, that she had no other outlet for, just came out at my mum. And it came out not in a, you know, shouting angry way. It came out in that thin-lipped, controlled resentful anger when nothing mum could do was good enough. And, you know, that really um, affected my mum. And my mum had the wherewithal to go, I never want my daughter to feel that way. So she made sure that she never treated me in that way. But then we have to remember that my mum had a life doing exactly what she wanted. So, you know, she didn't have the same build-up of resentment and betrayal that my grandmother had, where she thought her life with her husband would be different and then, boom, day of marriage, stop. It all stopped, you know? Um, and when my mum married in the 60s, you know, her husband didn't have an attitude that she had to do exactly what he said. Um, you know, he had a different attitude um, and then he couldn't work anyway. So mum had to go out and work and be independent anyway. So, you know, maybe there was more wherewithal within her to have that. And also she was an educated woman. She had, you know, more understanding. Or maybe it was just something about my mum. I don't know, but she made sure she didn't treat me that way. So, yeah, so I think that it's part of the awful treatment that happened to women during the Victorian times and leading up to the 20s. We've got to remember that during the war, a lot of women became independent, worked, had their own money, and then there was a propaganda campaign to send them back home. And so they've gone from having a meaningful life contributing to society to suddenly having not even an extended family, but a nuclear family, where they're quietly going crazy. 
I mean, I had a boyfriend once where I just spent quite a bit of time on the farm with him, completely by myself. I think I spent about a month on the farm with him and I had nothing to do. And I suddenly fell into this weird thing because I've never been very domestic. I fell into cooking for him because he was out working and he was out studying. So I ended up cooking for him and cleaning and doing all these domestic tasks. I was trying to write a book. I just couldn't get into my own thing. And I, I turned into my grandmother. And I remember this day walking down the, um, the avenue of the road because he was like about two hours late coming home. And I cooked the dinner and he wasn't there. And just walking down the avenue in this place of depression and despair and anger and feeling a complete lack of control. And it suddenly dawned on me, this is my grandmother. I've never seen it before because I've never been in that situation before. Mm. And you got there within four weeks. Imagine what it's like to do for 20 years or whatever. Exactly, with two kids. Oh, exactly. It's just horrible. I was married to the man. I could have left at any point in time, you know, like, but it was, and at first it was okay. I felt really good to have a rest, you know. But after a while, and the farm was really isolated, um, he'd taken the cars. So I had no way of transport anyway. The horses that he had were like a 10 mile walk away. Uh, so I had no company. It was really awful. And, you know, in the end, that destroyed his and my relationship. And, you know, I just, so, you know, after a month, I could, I could leave. But my, my grandmother, she couldn't. No. no and still be socially acceptable. So, yeah, I really, I really got it and I understood what it would be like. Yeah. It's hard to imagine what it was like for them going through the Great Depression, the survival aspect, the Spanish flu. We, we, don't, we don't understand. We, we don't understand at all. So I think it's good to have compassion for those generations, but we don't have to repeat those patterns of behaviour now. Yeah, and that's what your work is all about, is healing that um, stuff from the past, not just in our lifetime, but in generations before us, um, genealogically, as we call it in therapy. But um, thank you so much for coming, Pip. It's been really amazing um, to have you. I knew you'd be um, giving us a different perspective on love. And um, how does, as a businesswoman, how do you need to um, be loved so that you feel loved, secure and supported as a businesswoman today? Yeah, well, I think this is a really important question. You know, when I first was looking for love, um, you know, because I'm an alpha female, I really sort of was looking for an alpha male. And it dawned on me at some point that an alpha male needs a supportive woman because if you're an alpha, you're out in a leadership role and you can't do everything, you know. So if you've got two alphas going out there, then they're looking for support from each other and they can't get it. Um, and I'd sort of always felt that. And also because I had, at that point, years ago, unworthiness issues, I kind of wanted the alpha male to show that I was worthy, a little bit like a man might want, you know, the woman on his arm. I had that. I was horrified when I realised I had that, but I did. <laughs> and I think as a businesswoman, we really don't need another alpha. <laughs> well, 
what we, I mean, they can be an alpha in themselves, if you like, but we don't, we don't need someone in our same industry being a leader there. We need someone who is supportive. I think it was Charles, your husband, who said to you once who told me, which I thought was brilliant, there's only really room for one star in the family, one, you know, extroverted star. The person can be a star in their own thing. And I think that's so true. I see successful relationships of successful business women where they have a supportive man. You know, he's, Will is very masculine. Like if anyone messed with me or messed with Will, he would absolutely stand up and defend me to the hilt. He's very, very loyal. People think he's mild-mannered, you know, Clark Kent, but <laughs> any threaten, you know, and he's just got a backbone of steel. Um, which is really wonderful. So you've got that really strong masculine aspect. But, you know, he is also supportive. You know, he will make sure that at a course, you know, I've, I've had lunch and, and, you know, that lunch is brought to me. He will make sure he's filtering questions. He will make sure that I'm okay. He will look after me when I go home. And, and you know, even though normally we share the domestic tasks, but when I come home completely exhausted... You know, he will do all of that for me. And he sees that as his role as the event coordinator in our business um, to be supportive. And I think we need that. Look at Oprah Winfrey. You know, her, her husband is not the one in the spotlight, but he's the CEO of his own business. But she's the star and he's the supporter, you know, in that place. And when I see you and Charles together, when I see me and, you know, Will together that's how it is and when I see lots of not successful relationships where the woman is a businesswoman or a star of some kind and she's got her husband and they're competing with each other for support they're competing with each other for the spotlight I just I just can't see how that works and I think Charles is absolutely right in the wisdom he has there about that so I think Heal whatever makes you feel unworthy. Heal whatever the need is to, you know, have that other alpha. Just have someone who's got enough of a backbone that they don't let you get away with stuff that you shouldn't. Yeah. And, then, and then let yourself be supported. You know, home life is not the place where you also need to be a star. You know, that's the place you should be snuggled up. Like I say to Will, you know, because... My nickname for Will is Rabbit and his nickname for me is Kitten. And I just say, you know, Rabbit and your kitten are just in the hutch together, you know, <laughs> cuddled up together in the hutch, you know. Um, and, and we don't need all that stuff out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we just need that loving, supportive relationship. And, you know, I just say my favourite place on earth is to sit on Will's lap and he's a big man um, and I'm a petite woman. So... That's a beautiful place for us to be and that sense of him as the masculine and me as the feminine and for us to be able to play and enjoy the child in us and then when we come to work, we can just both be the adults. Um, but to have that beautiful, playful space, I think that's so important and that's what I think we need and we just need to let go of that idea that, you know, we're both going to be up there, stars together on the stage. No, I don't think that I mean, maybe for some people, but very rarely. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the favourite things um, that when I'm out in the world and I'm travelling around, um, 
as you know, when you're out and about, you just want to get home and you just can't wait and you, you, you've exhausted your energy and, you know, it might take me 12 hours just to get home um, and eventually I arrive home. And during the whole process of getting home, Charles was saying to me, are you ready for closeting? Are you ready for closeting? And so when I get home and I've had enough, um, I get put into bed and I get closeted. So, you know, if you visualise cotton wool being wrapped all around me and I'm going to be cosy and comfortable. The only annoying thing is you have to get up and go to the toilet sometimes. Otherwise I'm told to stay there and I just get looked after and everything gets replenished inside of my soul. And, um, you know, th th that's one of my greatest gifts. Um, and I think that's the thing, Trini, you know, and I think that's one of the problems with modern women. They don't know how to receive. And we really need to clear our problems with vulnerability, our problems with unworthiness, unlovableness and unsafe in order to be able to open ourselves up to the right person who we can truly trust to receive. Because when people have those issues, um, unlovable, unworthy and unsafe, they cannot open themselves up to receive and then they can't replenish. And as women, that is what we most need from our man or our, you know, our other woman, yeah, if we're gay. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful, isn't it? And I think um, I am a good role model for that and I know all my friends enjoy watching me receive and they <laughs> secretly look aside to watch how I do it why do I get what why do I get looked after in this way? What's so great about me is what they're thinking, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it's not that. It's just that we're compatible. The two of us are very, very compatible. And that's never changed. From a young age, you learned that too, how to see. Somehow, somewhere in your child brain, that was an okay and safe place for you. So I don't think you needed to do any healing around that area. That was quite natural to you. Um, and there wasn't anything that stopped that being a part of it. Whereas for people like myself, where receiving had been a dangerous thing because of the abuse I'd experienced, I had to do a lot of healing around that. So it's wonderful to see that natural aspect for you and that that always was a part of it because every child knows how to receive. That's how they get fed by their mom, you know, and protected by their dad. Yeah, that's beautiful, Trina. Lovely to show that it's possible. And I love uh, women paying me compliments like that, saying, oh, wow, how do you do it? You just receive with grace. And, um, and, and that's, that's the ultimate, is to just be able to receive with grace rather than women a lot of the time, because they're not healed in that fashion, um, can't even receive a compliment. And they'll say this on dress. Um, you know, instead of just letting me have my opinion about that dress and saying thank you. It's just really odd. And I think that's sort of 101 receiving is just go around and receive all the beautiful things that people say um, about you just on the surface and um, see how you go in your body around that. And, uh, you know, they, they need to practice receiving compliments and, and then other bigger things can come. That's exactly right. And I think too, you know, so many women get into that place of the, the other feminine archetype, the creative nurture, constantly nurturing others and giving to others. Um, and they think that's because they're such a good person, but in actual fact, it's a fear response because giving is something 
that allows us to be in control. So it's actually a control freak place where the giving becomes out of balance. Um, and we really also need to heal that as well so that we can move into the, the light of the creative nurture, which is one, being able to imagine and create for ourselves the life we want, and two, being able to nurture ourselves um, and allow others to nurture us instead of just always nurturing everybody else and then wondering why we're exhausted, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. So um, with, with um, your, your, um, your business now, what do you think um, should be an easy first step if people want to explore who you are, Pip, and sort of get in touch and have a little look-see around what you offer? What's a good, easy first step? Yes, well, at the moment, they can just go to my website, www.pipmckay.com.au. So that's P-I-P-M-C-K-A-Y. And what we've um, put up there specifically for your um, viewers, Katrina, is um, my book. So I wrote a, a book called The Eight Principles of Achievement, Love and Happiness, where I go through those principles of masculine and feminine and also the archetypes. Um, in a step-by-step -step manner in a book. And that book um, was an Amazon number one bestseller and it won the Ippy Award and it went to number one in the US, UK, Australia and Canada. And what we've done is we've put that book up, the whole book, in PDF form and it's free at the moment. So they can just go to the website, they'll see it up on the navigation bar at the top, um, free book, and they can go just put their, you know, their... Um, email and name in there and then they can download that book for free and that allows them to go on our tips list we don't send them out all the time it's just a you know once a fortnight once a month type of um, tips and they'll get video short videos about some of the things we've been talking about as well and that's the easiest first step and then we have free days where people can come and uh, see us, but with the COVID-19 at the moment, we're just waiting before we can put those free days on. But they'll be on the um, on our database then and we can let them know when the next free day is. But that's the easiest way to go. They just get my book. It won't be on there forever because um, we're about to use that book in a different way. Uh, but at the moment, yeah, it's still there for, for your viewers, Katrina. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much. I highly recommend the book. It's absolutely amazing. But really, really do whatever you can to move heaven and earth to get to the free day because you get to be with Pip for the whole day. You get to be with like-minded people. So you'll definitely find your tribe there. Um, and you will get to learn pretty much the secrets of the universe. <laughs> um, all done in the magical way that Pip does it. So please, please, please get yourself there. Do yourself a favour. It will be one of the best days you ever have and it will change the trajectory of the rest of your life as it did for me and as um, our friendship continues, Pip, and I just can't wait to um, interact with you more and more and more over the next 20 years. And thank you for joining us for this. This has been just a new little project for me just to see... Um, I wanted to just have a check-in with women. Where are they at? I wanted to hear from all women from all walks of life to see where are we at now as modern goddesses? What do we want? What do we need? What do we desire? You know, what do we have? What don't we have? What do we more, need more from each other? And I think the, the, the real takeaway today, one of the big, big takeaways today is, guys, we are our own worst enemies. Please mm. stop tearing other women down. 
it is ridiculous. We have to got we have got to stop that behaviour and do whatever you can to love, support, and nurture the modern goddess in you and others. Thanks for coming today, guys. See you next episode. Bye for now. Lots of love, people.